my commute alone. This week, Extinction Rebellion had a few people standing on a bridge and the entire economic interests of the whole Edmonton metro region ground to a halt. Plus, we might finally be done with calcium chloride for the year and free transit on election day won't be happening. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 57, where we are in studio and Mac was able to arrive because the bridges in Edmonton are open, which means that the climate emergency is over, I, I guess. I guess no more protests, at least. Um, before we get onto the rapid fire, we're going to just drill this into your head that Speaking Municipally has a live show during Startup Week with councillors Hamilton and Knack. We're going to be talking about all things local politics and technology, the intersection of those two things. It's on October 24th, which is a Thursday at 3 p.m. at Startup Edmonton downtown. And the counselors confirmed that they have listened to the podcast and know what they're getting into. So should be fun. Yeah, should be fun. But on to the rapid fire. After counselors were up to their eyelids in complaints over the delays and changes to the pool in front of City Hall, the public is one step closer to being up to their ankles in treated water. While the city had hoped the public could enjoy the splashing puddle this winter, council's decision to ban calcium chloride means it will probably freeze instead and become a skating rink this winter. Squatter sight lines are at issue this week as the approved development just north of Hotel McDonald will interfere with the sight lines of a local Edmontonian who has taken the same picture of the hotel every workday for six years. Despite his sadness and his Twitter feed evidence of him squatting on the view, council did not reverse their decision to approve the new tower. The issue struck a chord with city council, many of whom are hoping to be re-elected in 2021 because of squatting, or um, sorry, uh, incumbency. In retail, there are winners and there are losers, and the prominent White Ave location will end its many chapters on October 26th. Another casualty in the race to the bottom against Amazon, corporate decided it was time to turn a new page on the location and try on a new look. Physical bookstores, it seems, are out of fashion. It's a thinker, that one. <laughs> Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week, we're going to tell you about the Edmonton Community Foundation, which acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. We previously talked about Vital Signs, which is an annual checkup conducted by ECF in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council, and it measures how the community is doing. This year's focus was on arts, philanthropy, green spaces, and sports and recreation. You can learn more about Vital Signs and all of the endowments at ecfoundation.org. You might think we record those, but we don't. We're saying it live every week because that's how much we care about you and the sponsors of the Alberta Podcast Network. Also, what we care about so much, so, so much, is calcium chloride. Because oh, yeah. I love talking about calcium chloride. I remember back when we were covering Budget... And week by week, at some point, we got sick of talking about austerity Edmonton and the plan to have a hold at 0%. I'm feeling that for calcium chloride right and now. And you were so energetic about it early on, getting emails from advocates <laughs> for companies that sell this stuff. Tiger Calcium did not have a good week this week. So calcium chloride came back on the agenda for what looks like might be the last time this, this year. year. <laughs> <laughs> this year. I had the caveat. It'll probably be back next June. But in the interim, council has moved to ban calcium chloride. Well done, Councillor Cartmel. Press the right button this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was some inklings and machinations that, you know, 
maybe a counselor might change their vote before the mm-hmm. Tuesday vote. Nah, nah, everyone voted along the same lines that we thought they would. And in a 7-6 vote, calcium chloride was removed. So that means basically administration can do whatever they want to try to reach their bare pavement goal, except use calcium chloride. Is that the motion? Well, no. So the motion was a bit more complex than that because as the debate happened, and oh boy, was Don Iveson happy that there was a debate on this. Thrilled, I'm sure. There were a couple components that were being debated. One was calcium chloride. People think it causes undue damage to cars. And then, of course, Councillor Walters came out with a blog post this week that said, well, no, calcium chloride has a corrosion inhibitor, NaCl or sodium chloride that we use with our sand and we'd use in lieu of calcium chloride that doesn't have a corrosion inhibitor. So that's probably more damaging. Right. So that was the first facet. It was the calcium chloride discussion and corrosion. The other facet of the discussion was about cost. Uh, Because we had heard from administration going into this meeting that there was the potential that if we remove calcium chloride, it might cost an extra $37 million. And Don Iveson raised the alarm bell that that's like an extra 2% on your property tax bill, bringing the increase for this year up to like 4.5% instead of the 25 that it was. So he also published a blog post this week arguing that not using calcium chloride would mean more accidents and poorer traffic safety results, a significant property tax increase, as you say, because of more plowing. And curiously, we'd become reliant on the wrong salt. It was very interesting because Iveson brought up a pretty interesting train of thought that hasn't been discussed so far in this debate, which was we're talking about all the externalities of calcium chloride, all the concrete damage and asphalt damage that it allegedly caused. Mm -hmm. And that's an externality that the taxpayer was boring. What wasn't talked about is if we have significantly more collisions because we reduce the safety on our roadway right what does that do to insurance premiums the administration did say specifically that policy decisions at a municipal level are not taken into consideration typically with insurance premiums but collision reports are the primary thing that they use so if we see an uptick in collisions we probably see an uptick in insurance premiums so that was an interesting line of thought that didn't go basically anywhere because the mayor lost the vote right Um, The other portion that I think it's worth talking about is the cost piece, because we heard this administration number that, you know, this might cost an extra $37 million, to which Councillor Cartmel said, well, what happened before we used calcium chloride? Because we didn't pay and we didn't save $37 million by using this solution. So can't we just do what we did before? Interesting. Um, And... You know, he's not wrong. Yeah, we never save money like that, right? That's not the way this thing works. The justification that was given is we've got a better level of service now. Uh, What administration has discovered through years of research and looking at best practices is that bare pavement is the goal to get to. Right. The mayor mentioned uh, it reduces the chance of intersections in the range of 13 to almost 20%. Yeah, it's it's a non-trivial benefit to have bare pavement. Uh, We didn't always aspire to bare pavement, and so we didn't use the calcium chloride. And that is fundamentally what calcium chloride is for in our winter clearing strategy. It's laid down before snowfall, and it prevents the snow and ice from adhering to the road surface so that when a plow comes by, it can very easily clear and plow it away. Versus if you don't lay down the calcium chloride, you need several runs with the plow, and you still might not get down to bare pavement. There still might be ice or packed snow. So that is the material sticking point. 
where Councillor Cartmel, the motion that ended up being voted on, wasn't just let's remove calcium chloride. It was also let's remove calcium chloride and let's reevaluate how we can improve our road safety strategy up to and including bare pavement. That was a very key message that was added to the motion, the up to and including bare pavement, because before it was just this was the done deal. In order to get bare pavement without calcium chloride, it's an extra $37 million. This gives administration the leeway to say, well, we can reduce our level of service in this way, and these will be the trade-offs. So that's what I think is going to be the contentious discussion on this issue is, do we target bare pavement? So isn't Councillor Carmel basically reopening a decision we've already made? We've already decided we're going to go for Vision Zero. We just said that it significantly gets us closer if we have bare pavement. It is interesting that you bring that up because a councillor who you would never suspect to have brought that up did make that exact same point. Councillor Katarina, of all persons, calling into the meeting, wasn't even there, but he was on the phone and he said, look, we've agreed to Vision Zero. And I personally, I don't agree with Vision Zero, but Vision Zero is the strategy. This is the decision that we've made. Yeah. And even he didn't even go so far as to present a cancel unification vote but he said if you voted for vision zero and you're voting against calcium chloride you need to look at yourself right and paraphrasing what are you doing you dimbus um <laughs> might be a bit of a paraphrase there right. but after that's close. the gist of it yeah and it was a really salient point because right. across the table you had counselors which this is a political issue calcium chloride we know it's been used on the hand day by the province it is just a political hot football. And we saw councillors across the board, Knack and Cartmel and Paquette were the big champions of removing it. Nickel also, but Nickel in his typical way was very silent mm. and just said, When it yeah. comes time to it. Yeah. He doesn't talk much at council, but he said, Yeah, I always supported this. Let's get rid of it all. But you had those councillors really rallying the charge against calcium chloride. And those councillors, maybe not Cartmel, but Paquette and Knack, definitely, those are Vision Zero counselors. We've yeah. seen them really advocating for Vision Zero. So it was a bit of a baffling move to have them both voting to remove calcium chloride from our strategy. Not the first baffling move that council has made in recent weeks, but... <laughs> no, not baffling indeed. nonetheless. Um, so that's where we're at with uh, calcium chloride. I suspect what's going to end up happening is to compensate the city's going to increase its rock salt usage and we're going to see more corrosion this winter right um and we'll be back to square one next june with an even more contentious debate leading up to an election so that'll be fun uh like i had said before uh on a previous episode this will be the defining issue of the 21 election yeah when you said that i was like really i hope not but the more this goes on the more i can see that this is a bigger more uh representative issue and counselors are saying this is the defining issue of this council so they're already ramping up to put their vote on their election campaign platform well that's a nice change from bike lanes. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, I'll add that bike lanes and sidewalks are still going to be cleaned with calcium chloride. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So go figure. That was the one time Mike Nichols spoke up during the debate. He said, yeah, let's get rid of it. I find it really frustrating that it's still going to be used on bike lanes and sidewalks because we should never use it anywhere. 
I digress. We heard that, quote, a reckoning was coming this week, and it was all about the financial update to the city. That's right. Council got, finally, they delayed this once already, they finally got their June 30th update on the operating budget and the capital budget as well. So this is the numbers from administration on how we're doing against the budget. Are we going to be over, under, and um, tax-supported operations for the end of the year are projecting a loss of just over $5 million. The city says this is mainly due to lower facility and lower transit fare revenues, um, and where they've saved money is they've hired fewer people than they originally planned, and they've spent less on snow and ice control. And that is where Mayor Iveson and Councillor Nickel had a big difference of opinion on these numbers. So you said something really interesting before we started this episode, that like these are facts. Yes. Everybody got this report. It has the same information in it. And everyone said the same information. Councillor Nickel and Don Iveson, they were telling the media the same numbers. Right. And one said it was doom and gloom and one said it was absolutely fine. So, so Mayor Iveson said there's nothing to be alarmed about. We have $116 million in the bank as protection against snow. He says in a really bad year, maybe it's a 20, 30, $50 million hit. So we've got enough in the reserve is basically what he's saying. There's no cause for alarm. Councillor Nickel, on the other hand, says in 2011, there was a $30 million shortfall. We had to use the financial stability reserve, stabilization reserve. Um, and he's saying that, you know, a hit of that amount would be a real problem for our finances. So he believes this reckoning is coming, as you say. And he also said, everyone else has faced that reality for some time now in their own household, and we have to do better. I'm just going to open by pushing back. Government and running a city is not the same as running a household. Not Conservative quite. politicians who keep parroting that line are wrong and disingenuous. And I would appreciate if they stopped that. <laughs> but... Addressing the meat of it, I also think Nickel is wrong. I mean, in his doom and gloom forecast, he said, if we had a really bad year, it's a $30 million hit to a $116 million fund, and we can adjust the budget at end of year to make up for that shortfall. So I'm not sure where he's coming from that I don't actually get his doom and gloom projection. Yeah, I mean, the percentages are also really insignificant, like a 0.6% uh, surplus at halfway point of the year and a 0.2% deficit at the end of the year. Like we're pretty much on track. Yeah. And the deficits are caused by just like, we closed a couple rec facilities, so we didn't get tickets for those. It's not the definition of doom and gloom. I think what this is signaling more than just Mike Nickel is running for mayor, which we've <laughs> talked about before. But I think it's part of a broader story of Iveson doesn't seem to be in control of the council anymore halfway through the term. It was really illuminating, especially with the calcium chloride issue. Wow, we're going to talk about it again. But at the end of the debate, when he was speaking to it, he said to his fellow colleagues, I really implore you to vote against this motion. And it came not as a commanding position as mayor is like, this is the leadership we need to show, but just like, please get your heads out of your butts, my colleagues. And throughout the motions, there were things just like procedural things. Like I want to recall this vote to reopen for debate, or I want to delay this for the next meeting. Just those procedural votes that you expect to go fine. He voted no to all of them. And it 
sort of came off as petulant, I think. Right. Um, no one else is going to be picking up on that because no one's watching the procedural votes except me and the media. And, and we've picked up on this before, right? So we've you've identified before that there are certain members of council that seem to get under Iveson's skin a little bit. And so I've been watching for that when I've been either there or listening as well. And you definitely notice a frustration with the mayor that wasn't there before. Iveson even mentioned this at the start of term. If we're throwing back way back to the start, right when Councillor Paquette started the free transit motion, right? Iveson's comments were, you know, I'm really frustrated. We have a process in place and we have a way to get these things on this agenda. And you have junior counselors who want to make a name for themselves. Right. Jumping the queue. Yeah. That was the, essentially the gist of his comments. And now you have a bunch of counselors, some junior who are rumored to be running for mayor and they want to make a name for themselves, too. And I think you're seeing Iveson bear the frustration of dealing with this across the board from all of his colleagues. But the flip side of that is if your colleagues are running for your seat, they're not going to give you that leadership position. They're not going to give you all the political wins. So it starts to look like the mayor doesn't have control of the table. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're not going to do it willingly, but there's still an opportunity. He's the mayor. He's the one that sets the direction. He's only one vote out mm -hmm. of the 13, but the mayor gets to reinforce that vision and that direction. And there's been a number of instances where this council has made a decision about something that seemed pretty clear to everybody and then has gone in a different direction. So recently, the Glenora decision, right? We voted to support transit-oriented development, and we declared a climate emergency, and we've done all of these things, and then council listens to some people who are upset about having a mixed-use building in their neighborhood, and they vote it down. And, and it's like, that doesn't make sense. You've already set out the trajectory, the plan, the vision. Why are you not voting in favor of that? And you were mentioning you were at a meeting and you heard from some infill developers that they're nervous about investing in Glenora now. Absolutely. They're saying we're kind of afraid of that community. Like we're kind of hesitant to go back in there and try to do something because we've now very clearly seen at council that some angry residents can cause council to deviate from their previously stated vision. The same issue came up again. So one of the aspects of the council meeting this week was it was just a bunch of reports. So councillors sit on various boards, agencies yeah. and other pet projects. Maybe maybe that's a bad way to call it. But our uh, representation. Yeah. Councillor McKean was talking about a report from the Heritage Board and heritage organizations in the city. And he did the same thing where he sort of like relitigated already decided things. So you'll recall last year, neighborhood renewal, when we do it, a lot of communities had complained about like for like replacement. Yeah. We want better neighborhoods when we're paying, you know, 20, 30 million dollars per neighborhood to rebuild everything. And it was decided that we're going to target where appropriate, but in general, a 30 kilometer an hour design speed and vision zero. We're going to engineer these neighborhoods to be safe when we do neighborhood renewal. And that's how we get to our vision zero goals. And council was on board. We voted for that and kosher, done deal. McKean in his report almost as an offhand comment, mentioned that, you know, we have some historical neighborhoods where they had wide roads without, you know, larger curbs and sidewalks. And to change these in neighborhood renewal upsets the heritage character of the neighborhood. So I think administration needs to take another lens in neighborhood renewal and look at the heritage and historical context before making these roadway improvements. So as someone who used to be on the Heritage Council board, I appreciate the recognition of the importance of heritage, but that seems like a bad argument. Yeah, um, 
wide roads are wide because we made bad design design. yeah and if the heritage aspect is people died here (laughs) let's not preserve more people dying um well put and the mayor sort of pushed back he's like well i mean we can have a fulsome discussion about policy and planning at a later date but between the lines he said no we agreed on vision zero this is just because a couple NIMBYs say we want our road to look exactly the same doesn't mean we throw out all our planning and best practices. So that was another just a hint of the mayor being frustrated with council and council sort of pushing back at a different direction than councils agreed on. Hmm. Council seems far less unified in these past couple months and going forward than I've seen in the past. And it's so interesting to me because they basically just approved their updated vision their updated principles their strategic plan and we're you know right about to get into the meat of the city plan which is supposed to bring all of those things to life so it's kind of concerning actually that they don't seem as aligned with that vision as they seem to be on previous votes speaking of votes that they weren't aligned with free transit Right. So Councillor Paquette, in his latest initiative to try to get transit to be free, said on election day. Now, hold on. Hold on. I'm going to say he's going to write in and say that's a mischaracterization. Write me, Councillor Paquette. Write me. (laughs) That's that's what it is. Councillor Paquette wants to enfranchise voters Mm -hmm. by allowing them to get to the polls on free buses. Anyway, he thinks it's really important to be involved in democracy, which I agree with. And we should not have barriers in the way that prevent people from doing that. So why not make transit to the polling stations free on Election Day? And he gave notice of motion last week and they voted this week. Yeah. um, And they voted overwhelmingly to say, nah, nine to three. Hard pass. Yeah. Um, One of the very interesting votes that I found was Scott McKean's Mm -hmm. who we're going to. I think he might even earn Councillor Knob of the Week this week. (laughs) Um, He got a lot of flack on Twitter and around the internet because he had received several, even dozens of emails prior to the vote. Here's the exact wording from one of his assistants. Councillor McKean fully supports the motion and would like to see this extended to elections for every level of government. Mm -hmm. Um, So did he vote yes? I take it from the way you asked that question. The answer is no. He did not. And in fact... Far from voting yes, he spoke pretty high in the order of order of councillors speaking to the motion, and he advocated hard against it. He said, mm. like, there's no value in doing this, and I don't see any point to doing this at all, um, which was a stark change. Yeah. I, I can't say what he was convinced of in the room, but I found it very interesting, the administration discussion around this, because the costs for this were $58,700 in cash fares that we're going to lose because transit is free. They also said $87,800 in ticket revenue, which is people who prepay tickets Mm. and would normally put a ticket in a bus. Got it. They wouldn't do that because it's free. And Councillor Paquette at the meeting pushed back on it like, well, they'll just use the ticket at a different time. Yeah, we're not losing that revenue. We've already got the revenue, actually. Yeah, and if... Tickets were something that were used consistently and, you know, frequently and on a regular schedule. They'd be bus passes, not tickets. So administration pushed back and they said, no, absolutely. This is the number of ticket revenues. There's no uncertainty we have here. And Council Paquette's like, yeah, but you don't know that. 
Right. And administration was certain that this big number, but so I'm unconvinced on that number. I think the cost for this is like around 50 grand tops. Yeah, easily. It, it is a literally a nothing motion. For the for the record, I support Councillor Paquette in this. Yeah. Um, and we, we should have done this. Transit should be free. We are both on the same side here. Even at $100,000 following admin's numbers, that's cheap. Yeah. It's like a tenth of a percent of the uh, transit operating budget for the year. It's, it is literally nothing. And council basically unilaterally, uniformly voted against it because they didn't want to. Hmm. I reached out to Councillor Paquette to hmm. get his thoughts because the end motion ended up being, we're going to distribute some tickets to, you know, some churches, some uh, inner city, inner city organizations yep. so that the people who actually need this can get this. Sure. And I mean, that sort of misses the point. It's about, that already happens anyway. I yeah, believe. it's it's very much a feel good virtue signaling notion. It is better doing this than not doing this. But this doesn't really matter. Um, but Councillor Paquette, he was very gracious about this. And he said, you know, I'm glad that we're doing something to help Election Day. But he did say that Edmontonians are paying for a world class transit system. But we don't have a world class system. One of the solutions to that is increasing ridership. Encouraging folks to get out on election day could have done just that. So I think that's the point that I pushed back at the start that you were yeah. needling at that. Yeah. This is a trial balloon for free transit that he didn't get the go forward from. Definitely. Yep. Um, I think we have to move on to the last big topic of the day um, because the Walterdale Bridge was non-functional for a period of time this week. Yeah. A whole, what, two hours? <laughs> it felt like seven days <laughs> with how much coverage it got. So Extinction Rebellion Canada has, um, held these demonstrations all across Canada. So Halifax, Toronto, Edmonton, Victoria, Vancouver, here in Edmonton, there was nine or 10 of the protesters that decided to link arms. They blocked the Walterdale Bridge coming into downtown, right in the middle of rush hour traffic in the morning. And predictably, people got pretty mad about that. At least the people in their cars were pretty mad. I understand there was one motorcyclist who revved his engine and tried to drive around. Another one tried, another car tried to get through and they had some bikes blocking the area. Some drivers got out of their cars and were yelling and swearing at the protesters. Uh, the CBC article says there was almost fist fights. I'm not sure if that's true. But I will also counterbalance this by some people got off buses to walk across the bridge and joined in the protesters when they were passing. Um, and I'm glad that you counterbalanced this because one of the things that came to mind for me was the distinction in headlines between this story and a story you might recall from last December. Convoy. Right. So this week, the CBC headline and, you know, for those listeners out there who are astute, you'll know that most people consider CBC to be fairly left. Anyway, the headline, very ticked off commuters, climate protest shuts down Walterdale Bridge during rush hour. And the headline in December last year, we will not stop. Truck convoy rally in NISCU show support for oil and gas industry. And so I thought that was just such an interesting contrast between where the focus is in both of these articles. Now in this climate emergency, we're talking about the poor people who had a few extra minutes added to their commute. A year ago, we weren't talking about any of the delays that it caused. We were talking about how great it was that people were supporting the oil and gas industry. And that, I think, was pretty much the whole point of covering Climate Now, which we participated in back in September, was to try to change the media's narrative on what is an emergency. With Elise being a columnist, unfortunately now on vacation, we've blissfully forgotten David Staples as a city columnist role in 
municipal governance, but he had some tweets this week too, didn't he? He did. He was very much uh, talking for police to arrest the protesters and to do their jobs and that it was very bad that they were blocking traffic. There were arrests elsewhere in the country. Um, Arrests were made in Halifax, but here in Edmonton, the police put out a statement basically saying that they were able to negotiate a peaceful end to it earlier than the protesters had planned. So no arrests were made. Yeah, uh, he did also, he was asked if he supported arrests for the convoy truckers, and he responded, well, they didn't break any laws, to which uh, Nikos responded on Twitter, uh, driving too slowly on a highway is indeed against the law, and linked to the Queen's Printer article has got 87 likes and no response from Mr. Staples. I'm shocked there's no response. Shocked and odd. That morning, I just like made an offhand Facebook post and I tweeted it out too, And essentially, I just said, look, if six people standing on a bridge is a catastrophic inconvenience to your life, maybe you should spend that hour thinking about how 143 million people being displaced in the next 30 years will affect you. Business as usual, can and won't continue. Happy Monday. And how did that go for you? Blew up. I like... I was expecting to get my like 15 likes from my rabble rousers, but it was shared hundreds of times on Facebook. I'm still getting constant dings and notifications of people sharing that. So it resonated with people. Right. People aren't aware of this number. The science that we have says 143 million people are going to be displaced around the world by 2050 because of climate change and the climate emergency. This bridge, this interruption to your commute, doesn't matter if we get an influx of people and we're going to be the target because Edmonton is going to be a great place to live because of climate change. Right. While some be- places are turning into deserts and they're flooded or they're whatever. Flooded, there's hurricanes and massive storms. We're a landlocked, temperate climate that is going to have beefier barley. We're a target. <laughs> so when mass migrations show up in Edmonton and Suddenly, we have traffic jams every day on the Walterdale Bridge because we design for cars and no one's taking bikes or buses. People on that hill are going to have to question their mode of transportation and what their role is because agreeing to a climate emergency and then continuing your modus operandi of commuting by car and not experiencing any inconvenience, that's not going to work forever. I mean, I'm sure most of the people who got out of their cars angry would not have voted to call it a climate emergency. But yeah, touche. the point touche. stands. And uh, I can see why the organizers of this protest, Climate Exti- uh, Extinction Rebellion, called it a success. Because look at us. We're talking about it. And so is everybody else. Uh, a lot of people said things like, oh, you're angering the people you need to get on side. At this point, we don't really need the population on side. We had a huge climate strike. It was one of the biggest protests in Edmonton since early 2000s. We know that Edmontonians support this and we know that they're making their voices heard. We need governmental action. So at that point, they're disrupting the economics of the area to hopefully encourage government action. Right. But We'll stop evangelizing protests before we lose every one of our (laughs) listeners. And we'll tell you about the Alberta Forest Products Association. They've kindly provided us with an ad. Alberta loves its forests and its shows. In the last 20 years alone, Alberta's forest industry planted and nurtured 2 billion trees. Strategic harvesting is helping slow the spread of the mountain pine beetle. Take that, you scourge of infestation. Oh, And Alberta's forest industry creates enough green energy to power four cities the size of Grand Prairie. If that doesn't power your heart in the process, chances are you need to learn more about your relationship with Alberta's forests. Go to loveabforests.com. 
And that's all for this week. As always, you can check out taprootedmonton.ca for the latest on what we're up to. Uh, we'll be back next week, and we will not be talking about calcium chloride. That is my promise from me to you. I'm going to hold him to it. I will do my best. We will ignore that topic if it comes up. Until next time, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.